everyone. This is Brad Thomas with The Ground Up, and I'm back again with another CEO interview. And today I'm joined with Mark Manheimer. Mark is the CEO of NetStreet. Ticker symbol is NTST. And Mark, it's good to see you today. Hey, likewise, Brad. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, Mark, I think uh, since we were um, on the last call, uh, which is kind of early March, uh, or actually mid-March, in that March range, um, um, shares are up 20%. Uh, in fact, I was looking at the article, it's called My Oh My, Another Strong Buy. So strong buy means 25%. So we're just about there, 5% points away from fulfilling that strong buy recommendation. But uh, looks like you're on the right path. Um, Mark, I know we've, 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 we've uh, had a couple interviews um, since the company went public um, last year in uh, 2020 and the year of the, of the pandemic. But can you update or talk a little bit about your portfolio? And uh, some of our viewers may not be as familiar with your company since you're relatively new to the uh, REIT sector. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so we went public in the middle of the pandemic uh, back in August the, of 2020, so, uh, which was one of the first virtual uh, roadshows, which was interesting. Um, and so, you know, we're happy to get that, get that done and really, you know, uh, get the opportunity to, to prove uh, out the thesis that, you know, we, we think that we can acquire very high quality properties, you know, 70% uh, of our portfolio is investment grade, 11%, uh, a little bit more than 11% of the portfolio is what we call investment grade profile. And that those are tenants with more than a billion dollars of revenues and less than uh, two times debt to EBITDA, so kind of low leverage, you know, larger Larger companies with a good with a good balance sheet, and so you know very you know very high quality very high quality tenancy, but then also we're very conservative uh, on the real estate side in acquiring assets that are you know very fungible, uh, where we know there are other tenants that would be interested in that space, uh, and also you know a box that's not not going to be cost prohibitive to uh, to reposition, uh, and so you know that that has really served us well even you know through COVID you know we've been collecting all of our rent since last September, so I think we're the only one collecting. Every penny of rent, uh, you know, even right now. So, uh, really encouraged by the performance of the portfolio, and we, you know, we've been uh, acquiring properties at a, you know, I, I think a pretty good pace. I think we're, you know, I'd say measured growth is probably the right way to, right way to state that. Um, and so, you know, we increased our guidance uh, back in, uh, you know, early April from 320 million dollars of acquisitions annually, net of disposition. So we will sell properties here and there. Uh, up to $360 million. We're just continue to, continue to see more and more opportunity uh, at yields that, you know, that we think really makes sense. And really, I think our acquisitions approach, um, you know, we try to take advantage of the fact that we are a little bit smaller than maybe some of our peers, uh, and we can be a little bit more selective in terms of uh, you know, how we get into our transactions and really kind of lay out a bell curve of you know, how inefficiently priced the assets are uh, and our opportunities are, and really try to chop off that tail uh, and acquire the most inefficiently priced assets, which you know I think can be done in net lease retail because it's such a fragmented market and non-institutional market, uh, and that's really served us well. We've been acquiring properties, you know, at an at initial going in cash cap rate, uh, you know, north of six and a half, you know, since we went public, and so last quarter was six point seven percent, and we continue to build on you know the the way that we've been acquiring properties and the relationships that we have. Uh, so we're you know we're very encouraged uh, with what we're seeing in the market right now. Well, Mark, uh, you mentioned, you know, highly fragmented um, marketplace. Recently, I wrote an article um, comparing realty income to store capital and um, really pointed out that 
Um, there's really um, different types of net lease properties. They, you know, all net lease shouldn't be painted by the same brush, I guess you, you should say. And, and, you know, as I mentioned in the article, certain uh, investment grade uh, backed uh, tenants like, like NetStreet, Realty Income, and Agree uh, all kind of fit in that kind of higher investment grade bucket. And then you have kind of everybody else fitting into the, what I call the B2B or middle market, or kind of the, you know, more focused on sales unit level sales model, which is the store capital spirit, um, essential property trust model. Um, and then the actually there's probably a third category I should point out that I didn't in the article, which is kind of that mission critical, that WP carry, they're a little unique as well because they have that mission critical, you know, Europe and um, US exposure. But of course, with the realty income now, with the, with the announced merger with Barry, um, uh, the company has proposed to spin off their office properties uh, to really become more of a, of a pure play retail and, and logistics. So you see realty income now kind of moving into the bigger ticket transactions, which they can with the cost of capital. So that really creates a really interesting opportunity for, for your company as well as Agree to focus kind of on these, on these kind of under the radar, somewhat smaller properties as compared to uh, realty income who's moving into kind of some bigger pricing. And by the way, pointing into Europe in a big way as well. So um, I guess that that's interesting. And I definitely look at your company as a growth, you know, stock, uh, given we looked at the analyst, uh, you know, forecast uh, for the 2022 and 23 are both double digit, you know, pretty strong double digit growth forecast with your analyst uh, network. So in terms of growth, can we touch on the balance sheet a little bit? How are you going to how are you going to grow, you know, move this needle, uh, both from the equity and, and a uh, debt side? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, we just raised capital, uh, equity capital uh, in the beginning of April. So that was, you know, that was, you know, certainly trans transformative for us uh, in getting, you know, through, you know, through our, our second equity offering, uh, including the, in the, including the IPO. Uh, and, you know, I, you know, we just had a lot of investor outreach leading up to that, uh, you know, where we had a lot, I think a lot of interest from investors that really wanted to wait on us raising capital uh, for the second time to jump in. And, you know, once we got through that, you know, as you mentioned, we've had a, a pretty good run of the stock uh, with the people buying into, into the story. And so, you know, we're going to deploy the capital uh, raised from that equity offering in, in April, uh, you know, about, you know, call it $90 million a quarter with our $360 million uh, guidance that we provided, um, you know, increased back in back in April, and so we'll get through that, and you know, we'll assess where we are uh, in terms of you know whether the right thing to do is to, to look at debt financing or or equity financing. Uh, we currently have uh, we're an unsecured borrower. We've got a credit facility of a two hundred fifty million dollar undrawn revolver. We have a one hundred seventy five million dollar unsecured term loan. Both are very you know very inexpensive uh, capital. So I, I think what the likely outcome would be. Is that we would, um, you know, deploy the capital from the, you know, from the recent equity raise, then start borrowing on the revolver, you know, get a little bit of help from, from leverage. You know, right now we've got, uh, you know, negative debt because we raised more uh, equity than we have debt, so sitting on more cash than, than debt right now. Uh, and so, you know, we'll, you know, start to tick that up. We, you know, we want to keep the range around four and a half times, uh, you know, debt to EBITDA to five and a half times. So we'll kind of try to try to keep it within that range a little bit better. Uh, you know, as we grow, uh, obviously that gets a little bit more, a little simpler as we, you know, grow north of a billion dollars, uh, you know, which right now I think our market cap is about eight hundred fifty million dollars. So, Mark, I want to ask you. I, I didn't get a chance to look at your um, top holdings 
here, uh, but um, I don't recall you have any theater exposure, if any, probably very, not very much. Um, is there anything that you've learned, I guess, being in your seat in, as a public re, you know, CEO uh, now since 2020, is there anything you've learned from the pandemic? Obviously, you, you, uh, you, you went into this um, without a whole lot of, if any, you know, theater exposure, but there's any, any sectors you're looking at, for example, even in casual, in casual dining, I'm just curious because uh, looking at the, you know, a, a lot of a lot of the NetLease peers were not as fortunate in terms of their earning. We have negative earnings growth in 2020, and it was just really the investment grade names um, are backed. You know, uh, companies Realty Income Agree and, and I guess NetStreet in that in that same category. So, is there anything you've learned, I guess, from the pandemic that you know? But sounds like you've steered away going into this, but I'm just uh, just curious, what, how, the, how would you reflect on now that we're kind of coming out of this, this global pandemic? Yeah, sure. And, and look, I mean, we, we, you know, we had about a $260 million portfolio uh, back in 2019 and raised private capital, private equity capital uh, in a 144A equity offering and private placement uh, deal with the, uh, you know, a few different uh, you know, private equity firms uh, to get us to the scale of being public. So you know, that was back in December and January of 2020. And we were deploying capital, really the strategy all along. It has not changed, uh, but we did not have any movie theaters, no, no gyms, no early childhood education. Um, and that wasn't really so much, obviously, that, you know, nobody saw the pandemic coming, but it really had a lot more to do with you know, taking a movie theater back. If it doesn't work for AMC or Cinemark or one of the larger players, you really have a dollar theater, which isn't going to pay you anywhere near as much rent, or you're going to have to blade it and, and recreate it into something else, which is you know, almost always cost prohibitive. Uh, in that or you have a gym where you're refilling pools and you know kind of similar type, not quite as bad as movie theaters. Uh, but those were just, you know, we, we kind of really struggled with the real estate and what we do in the event that we take those properties back. And then you, you, know, you combine that with there really aren't many very strong corporate credits uh, in, in those sectors, which is why we were steering away. Uh, so the pandemic hit and, you know, certainly we were fortuitous to, to not have uh, any experiential uh, retail within the portfolio. Uh, and so, you know, that will, that will continue to be the case. You know, we're not going to buy any movie, any movie theaters. Uh, you know, I think maybe a Planet Fitness or especially if it's a corporate deal and those you know, can be in more fungible boxes, often, you know, without a pool. Uh, some of those may make some sense at some point in time. I guess never say never. Certainly isn't a focal point of our acquisition scheme. So, uh, but in terms of what I think we learned, um, you know, from the pandemic, uh, is really having, you know, strong corporate credits, uh, you know, is, is really important. And, you know, a big thesis coming into, you know, when we started the company um, was we want, we think retail is going to continue to evolve. Uh, E-commerce being, you know, one pressure, then there's going to be, you know, EVs, you know, electric vehicles, and it's going to be driverless cars. I mean, it's going to be some technology that we're unaware of. And having uh, tenants that have very strong balance sheets and great access to capital is going to allow them to deal with dis disruption. And, you know, we saw that with Best Buy reinvesting in, in their business. Uh, they were able to adapt to, to the Amazon effect and they compete with Amazon very well. In fact, I think I just saw it today uh, that they were uh, upgraded from triple B to triple B plus uh, really speaks to, you know, having a strong balance sheet, a strong management team that will reinvest in their business and adapt to the change. I mean, survival of the fittest uh, isn't so much who's the strongest today, it's who's going to adapt to change. And so, you know, that really, I think, um, you know, showed up, you know, with the pandemic that nobody saw it coming, but the ones that had great access to capital uh, were able to continue to pay rent. Uh, and in fact, most of those have you know, increased market share and, it, and have taken this as an opportunity. And we think that is going to continue to be the case 
whether it's a pandemic or you know some other disruption that you know that will come down the line. Great. Um, I want to ask you. I know this is becoming a more uh, focal topic in the uh, real estate community, especially 1031s. Is the net the uh, 1031 uh, exchange laws? And I just at a high level, if if the law were to go away or be you know be um, altered in, a, in in some format, do you think that would be a, a net positive? for your platform? Obviously, it's not going to help you as much on the disposition side, but in terms of acquisitions, uh, how, do you, how do you see that if there's some, some you know, modification to the current law? Yeah, like, and I, I still, to this day, have some trouble believing it's actually going to happen. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. it's yeah. a lot further than I would have thought it would uh, as well. Uh, but, you know, that being said, you know, like you said, you know, if we're going to sell a property, I'd much rather sell into a very deep, you know, buyer pool with 10, 1031 buyers. Uh, that makes it certainly easier, much more liquid market. Uh, you know, fortunately for us, we're not really looking to sell a lot. You know, we'll opportunistically sell some things here and there uh, or get out get ahead of some credit risk and maybe sell some things here and there, but that's not going to be, we're very much a net acquirer. So, you know, if we're doing $360 million net of dispositions and acquisitions, I, I think that probably means we're going to buy 400 and sell 40, something like that. Um, you know, obviously subject to change with, with how the market goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're competing with those, you know, local, you know, family offices, doctors and dentists, 1031 type buyers on the acquisition side. So I think that would likely help us uh, on, on that uh, on that front. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it kind of remains to be seen. I, th I still don't think it's going to happen, but if it does, uh, you know, I think we've proven that we can operate with the rules as they sit today. I think it may help us a little bit and we'll, you know, certainly try to be as thoughtful as we possibly can and take advantage of of any, any possible changes that come, come down the line. Great. Well, I guess last question, Mark, and I guess you mentioned, you know, play by the rules. Of course, in the REIT world, REITs must pay out 90% of their taxable income in the form of dividends. Most pay out 100% of taxable income and dividends. Um, you are, looks, looks at, based on the, you now have guidance for, uh, for the year, for this year. So using, I guess, a midpoint of your established guidance in 97 cents, Dividend yields 80, so we're calculated about an 82% payout ratio for the year. Um, do you feel like that's a comfortable range? Do you have a target range for payout? And I guess uh, I just want to point out that you know your your analyst uh, forecast again. Uh, this is analyst forecast, not yours or mine. Is uh, 20 over just a tad over 20% growth in 2022. So that's significant. That's a, that's actually best in class if that proves to be true based on this analyst consensus number. So a lot of dividend growth there, potential for the company if you can uh, close on this uh, net new uh, 360 million or so. So can you kind of touch on that in terms of, you know, kind of how do you reflect on that, that current dividend payout ratio? Yeah, sure. I mean, in general, uh, you know, kind of longer term run rate, we're thinking, you know, two thirds to three quarters, uh, you know, average payout ratio. Um, and so we'll kind of grow into that uh, over time, but you're right. I mean, yeah, my job is, you know, I, I, you know we're focused on growing our AFFO per share, uh, and, you know, one of the big metrics that we're focused on. Uh, and then, you know, it's up to the board to decide when we uh, increase dividends, but I think it's, you know, pretty easy to, to point out, you grow your AFFO, the dividend's gonna follow. Uh, and so that's certainly, I, I think we're pretty well positioned, like you said, best in class growth, uh, helps to be a little bit smaller and growing off a small base. Uh, and we'll, you know, certainly taking advantage of that uh, currently. And I think you'll see the, the dividend will follow. Great. 
Well, um, a little more personal note, uh, Mark, you're in Dallas. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, net lease rate could, could work anywhere. Um, how do you, how are you like in Dallas? And, um, you know, any, uh, I guess, you know, we, I haven't been able to come out and see you yet. I, I've been trying to do that up until, you know, COVID-19, we'd come out to meet uh, a lot of management teams, but, um, how is, uh, how is Dallas working out for you? Dallas is working out great. Uh, you know, my family's happy first and foremost, but that, that you know, allows me to, you know, focus much more on work, which is, which is great. Um, you know, it's very easy to get everywhere. So uh, looking forward to traveling sounds like it sounds like you are as well. Uh, you know, we're just now starting to kind of dip our toe into some business travel. Uh, easy to get to both, both coasts. Uh, and then, of course, Dallas is a, a very friendly, business-friendly town, as is the state of Texas. Uh, so really growing like crazy down here. Uh, but it's been, you know, the weather's been cooperating too. So that's it's not always the case here, here in Dallas. But uh, yeah, we, we certainly uh, love to call Dallas home. Great. Well, um, I know we'll probably see you in uh, December at the uh, NARI, which is the ICSC, excuse me, ICSC, not the ICS, International Council of Shopping Centers. Well, we'll be at both. So. Las Vegas, uh, Recon. Well, listen, uh, Mark, thank you again for your time. Uh, good, good job with uh, performance. Uh, obviously, Mr. Market uh, agrees with us, at least since our last interview. So let's hope things keep, keep going in that direction. So uh, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it. Take care.